kingdom and the earth around us. Let us go before him now in prayer. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we could gather as your children and your church to worship you, the true and living God. As we recount in our own mind's eye the festivities of this, of this day and likely tomorrow, we pray, O oh Lord, that you'd be gracious to us to dwell our minds upon the Savior that came, not as mere example, not as part God but part man, but fully God and fully man in flesh. We thank you, O oh Lord, for Jesus Christ who is even greater than an example, but the Savior of all mankind. We pray, O oh Lord, for our civil government that, is, that you have put over us. On this day, O oh Lord, we pray for our Supreme Court. We pray for our Chief Justice as he leads this, Chief Justice Roberts. We pray that the rule of law, O oh Lord, would be upheld well in our land and that the laws that are implemented through the uh, various rulings of the Supreme Court would be laws, O oh Lord, that would bring honor to you. But not only honor to you, O oh Lord, protection for the witness of the gospel in our land. We pray, O oh Lord, that the church would be protected through the rulings of this court. But we pray also, Lord, that the people of America would prosper by these rulings as well. We pray, O oh Lord, for our court, the highest court in our land and all the courts that are under them as well. We also pray, O oh Lord, for a missionary of our own congregation today. We think of Rachel Raby. We pray, O oh Lord, that as she continues ministry in Japan, a culture in many ways opposite of our own culture that is often sympathetic to the gospel, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be gracious to her, that her endeavors for the gospel would not go unnoticed or unseen, but embraced by many. We pray, O oh Lord, that the school that she's involved with will shepherd and raise up children who know the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'd use Rachel and many to that end. Be gracious to her, O oh Lord, as she serves in Japan. But also be, O oh Lord, uh, with those who are lost. We think of those who are lost within our own country. We think of those as we are in the midst of a holiday season, a busy holiday season, often overrun with distractions. We pray, O oh Lord, that on this holiday season there would be a, a, a softening of hearts within not only our homes, but also society itself. We pray, O oh Lord, that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he has preached today, that there would be ears to hear, eyes to see, that there would be a true warm embrace of the Christ that took on flesh to die for a people. We pray, O oh Lord, that this Christmas would not be wasted in that regard, but that there would be many who come to you, that there would be revival in our land, and that, that we would see in that revival a renewal of spiritual fidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. We pray also in that regard for our own outreach as Providence Presbyterian Church. As we, O oh Lord, are a church here in Troy, we pray that you would help us to better uh, be an outreach to our own community, but also to the greater Edwardsville area as well. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would instill within every member of our congregation a fervor desire of truth, and in that truth, taking shape in the sharing of Christ for those who do not know him. O oh Lord, give us courage, give us might. O oh Lord, give us discernment and care as we seek to represent Christ not only by our actions, 
not only by our thoughts and our hearts, but also our words as we share the true good news of the season that we perhaps even celebrate today. Be with all of those, O Lord, who will be traveling over this weekend. Be gracious to them. O Lord, grant them safe travels. Allow them to have great times with families. May it be a refreshing season for all within our congregation. For those who are downcast on this day, we pray, O Lord, that you would supply them with spiritual encouragement. O Lord, supply them, remind them of the fulfilling nature that is found within the Lord Jesus Christ alone. O Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our gospel lesson for the sermon this morning is in the Gospel of John. I invite you to turn there with me in the beginning of John chapter 1. We are taking a brief detour from the Gospel of Luke to visit the Gospel of John this morning. And Robert Rayburn, one of my favorite seminary professors from Covenant Seminary, once said that you should consider preaching on what people are thinking about. Don't waste a good opportunity. Perhaps this is one of the few times in the life of the church where we have that opportunity. Every one of you is thinking about the Christmas holiday. And so let us now hear from John that Christmas holiday explained. Stand in reverence and awe then as we hear from John chapter 1. We'll be picking up in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that, might all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all, to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is in the Father's side. He has made him known. Here ends our gospel lesson, and this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. John seeks to bolster the other gospel narratives where in Matthew, Mark, and Luke we see a nice chronological development for how Jesus came. John synthesizes that into a theological argument for the church. He bolsters, reinforces the gospel narratives on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ within these first 18 verses. It bolsters and strengthens who Jesus Christ was 
to us. It reminds me when I was in second grade, my mom let me play uh, baseball, and I was the shortstop, as you'd all expect, on that baseball team. And my mom wanted to protect me at all costs. And so she went out to Walmart or to a sports goods store and bought everything that could protect Scott from those dastardly balls that would be hit by, hit by other second graders. I had chest guards. I had helmets with gauge guards. I, I had everything you needed, shin guards and everything. I was fully kitted out to be protected and bolstered during that game of play. I wasn't very good. Perhaps it was all of the armor, the armament that my mom supplied me with. But in the same way or in a similar way, John seeks to bolster and reinforce our gospel message here. It is a true treasure that we have within our passage today. Martin Luther, when talking about this gospel and this passage, says this. This is a unique, tender, genuine, chief gospel. Should a tyrant succeed in destroying all of the Holy Scriptures and only a single uh, copy of the Epistle of Romans and the Gospel according to John escape him, Christianity itself would be saved. John, Romans, essential parts to revealing the truth of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ here today. John 1, 1 to 18. I hope on this Christmas Eve morning would prepare us to reinforce our understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. It is a great compliment. It is a great definer. It provides great clarity. So the question I seek to answer today as we think about a theology of Christmas is how does the Apostle John bolster the Christmas story? And there are three ways that we see within this passage that John bolsters, reinforces the Christmas story. The first thing that we see, how does he do it? He first shows us the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does John bolster and reinforce the coming advent of Jesus Christ? He shows us his eternality. We see this in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We see the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14, and that Word is Jesus Christ Himself. I remember the first time I read this passage, I read verses 1 to 3, and I wondered who the Word was. When I got to verse 14, I see that John was talking about Jesus Himself. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God. He was in the beginning with God. We see the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ bound within these first two verses that John shows us here today. In the beginning, of course, draws you back to Genesis 1.1. John wants you to know more than anything that Jesus in this manger that we celebrate perhaps here today was the one that in the beginning was God and was with God. The Nicene Creed says he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things made. There was never a time when Christ was not. Reminds me of the early church story of the council of Nicaea that 
we just read a moment ago, the fabled story. I don't know if you believe it or not. But St. Nicholas, the esteemed St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, as we know him today, punches Arius in the face and says, Ho, ho, homoousios. One of my great Bible stories that's certainly not true. That Jesus, homoousios, means the same substance as the Father. Begotten, not made. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. He was and is eternal. But he is not only eternal. We might think and boil down the ministry and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as merely being salvific. We think that Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To save sinners of whom I am foremost. But in verse 3, we get a clarifying work of Christ. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, Jesus did more than just save us. The Father ordains creation. And the Son creates creation, perhaps by the work and through the Spirit. You see, creation and its development itself, the, the development and the creating aspect of creation itself is a triune work. Father, Son, and Spirit creating all things. We see in Colossians the same idea as we prayed just a few moments ago. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ, yes, he's the eternal God, man in flesh, but he's also the creator. He's the agent of creation, as some theologians would call it. He's the one that creates. And there's no mistaking then who this man is. Who is this Christ that we worship according to the Gospel of John? He is the eternal God. There is no confusion. John wants to make sure that today of any other days that you are not confused on who Jesus Christ is. I'm reminded when I first moved to Mississippi, I was a youth director for three years while I finished my seminary education. And every Sunday evening we would have a youth fellowship. And on this particular Sunday, we went out and drove 45 minutes out to this beautiful, illustrious plantation home. The front door was on the back. That's how old this home was. And it was on the back because on the back was a river. And that's how they would travel to Jackson from that home. It was a beautiful home. And on that Sunday evening with the youth, I remember the meal most of all. We had, as you would expect, pork tenderloin a delicacy to every southern diet and meal. We had, of course, rolls. You know, not homemade rolls, but those rolls that you find in a tin at Walmart that you throw in the oven. We had green beans, but not just any green beans. Green beans that were doused in delectable bacon lard. And then we had this final side. By all appearances, given the meal before me resembled potatoes. Of course, what goes better with pork tenderloin and all these sides than potatoes? And so what did I do? I, I get a double helping of these mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. There's one problem. These were the worst mashed potatoes I've ever had because they weren't mashed potatoes. They were the southern delicacy of grits. Grits and evening meal. What an abomination. This Yankee did not expect. He was confused. 
as he took that first bite of those Sunday evening grits. I just wanted cheesy potatoes. And that's not what I got. Grits. Yes, I can take a few spoonfuls, but I had a double portion that was already beginning to mix with my pork tenderloin. There's no confusion, though, in this passage. We don't have to wonder whether we're having potatoes or grits. The Lord Jesus Christ, as told by John, is the Son of Man who is eternal. I want you to protect that idea. Jesus Christ is not mere man. He is the eternal Son of God. One of the greatest documents on on the person of Christ is called the, the person of Christ who would have thought. And here's what it says as it relates to the deity of Christ. For the deity of Christ either makes or breaks the faith. The deity and work of Christ is the very lifeblood of the church itself. For without the deity of Christ, Christ might be admired but never worshipped. He might inspire religious devotion but not sustain salvation. For a Christ that is not God is impotent and his appeal is at best superficial. The person of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ to you today? I think we probably have a tendency to admire Christ, but I don't want you to leave today merely only admiring Christ. You must do more. I love the examples of Christ throughout the Scripture and what he teaches me by his examples but he must also be the one that is the eternal Son of God who takes on human flesh and dies a sinner's death that we might have life today. That is why many, many millions of people celebrate Christmas today. Not because Christ is admired as a good teacher, but because he is the Son of God, truly God, of the same substance, equal in power and glory, and died for his people. Do not merely admire Christ today. But call and believe in your heart that he is truly the eternal Son of God. The second way that John bolsters the Christmas story today is that we see that it bears, he bears witness that Christ is the light. The first thing we see is that Christ is eternal. The second thing we see is that Christ is the light. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and dark are a common theme that we see throughout all the scriptures. And, and you know it even as Americans all well. Light, good, darkness is bad. But what we learn here in this passage is that the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and ministry expels the darkness, expels evil. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes in into this world as light, he eradicates the darkness that he comes in contact with. Have you ever been in a really dark place where you can't see your own hand in front of your head? Maybe it's that moment at night where you flicker the lights off and immediately you are overcome with darkness. Perhaps one of my fears, my greatest fears that you can know of your pastor is that there is something that is eerie about splunking in caves. I've watched a few uncomfortable videos to know that I never want to splunk in a cave in my life. One of the reasons is it is completely dark. But as you know, those videos, if you've ever seen them, those people are splunking on their bellies and they can barely fit through. 
imagine the darkness, the darkness, the isolation, and the claustrophobia that you never had but now do. But when you see those videos, they have a flicker of light. Just a matched light is all you need, and it begins to expel all of the darkness around him. You can now see the person. You can see what's ahead of you. You can see what is behind you. Just a little light in a completely isolated, dark place will shine everything. Jesus is that light, bringing light to the darkest, most remote caves in all the earth by his coming in the world. But we see that as he was coming in the world, he did not come without a preparer. There again, there is no confusion. In verse 8, we have to know the way. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might have and believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Well, you see, John wants to make sure that all of his I's are dotted and all of his T's are crossed. Jesus Christ isn't merely who I say he is because of what I have written here. But there are legal witnesses. That's what John wants you to know, that witness this Christ. This is both an Old Testament reality, a New Testament reality, but also even today, we see witnesses of the work of Christ. In the Old Testament, we saw it perhaps through the various writings of the coming Messiah. We heard one of those here today where they were bearing witness. We think of John the Baptist, who's the last prophet of the Old Testament, bearing witness that there is a Messiah to come to save people. In the New Testament area, we, we see the same, the same witness in the work and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Jesus do all these miracles? You know, it's not for his own vain glory. Rather, it is to bear witness of who he is. It's not merely to heal and make people better, but to show that by his advent, what he comes to bring is this good news of salvation. He bears witness. The apostles bear witness as they see him do all of this. But even today, we see these witnesses continue. We see the witness of the gospel going forth today in, in the church age as people are touched by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and then share that work with others. We ourselves are witnesses. John was a witness. The Old Testament prophets and writings were a witness. The New Testament's witness. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ himself is a witness. But we also are witnesses here today. The scripture attests it. John the Baptist proclaims it. Jesus Christ confirms it. The Father authenticates it. The disciples experience it. Holy Spirit seals it. And we continue in that great heritage. We continue. Why? Because we are children. That's what this passage says. For those who are touched by the light of Christ become children of God. In verse 12, there is a promise for a Savior. This true light that comes into the world offers his light not to only himself, but to all who come in contact with him. He doesn't hide his light under a lamp or a basket. He shares it freely. And all who receive this light become children of God. That's what we see. But many will not. We see that his own people... He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It's not merely by birthright who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
the light that offers is offered to you, to me, and the Lord Jesus Christ is not mere lineage, but it is a work of God drawing his people to himself. The second thing that is important in this passage as we see is that John bears witness that Jesus is the light. And you too can possess that light. He passes that light off on to you to share it with you. Like my children with sparklers during the 4th of July. One sparkler passed to another to encourage and continue sparklers throughout all the night. Jesus passes his light to you. Strip away all of our festivities. Strip away our decorations, our trees, our meals, our lights. (laughs) What do we have? We have the true light that came into the world, who took on human flesh, that we might have life in him. Do not forget the light that Jesus Christ himself brings. The last thing I want you to see in how John bolsters this Christmas story is that he reveals Christ dwelling among us. My favorite verse in maybe all of the New Testament is verse 14. And the, whole, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there is the word in Greek that means tabernacled. It's actually not supposed to be a verb. It's a noun. It's supposed to point us back to the Old Testament as we are reminded in Exodus as we will get there when we get there of the tabernacle being erected for the people of God. And why was the tabernacle erected? It was to show that God dwelled among his people. That if you went to the tabernacle, as all the tribes were around the, the tabernacle, they would gather in the tabernacle to be with God. To be outside the tabernacle was to not be with God. To exit the camp itself would be to go into wilderness where God has no presence at all in the ancient understanding. But in the tabernacle, that is where God sat. And you saw God sitting by both the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when they erected and built the tabernacle, what did that smoke and fire do? It condescended into the Holy of Holies. A place so holy that they would wrap a piece of linen around the leg of the priest that would go in there once a year on fear that he not be holy enough and die, they have a way to carry his body out without they themselves dying. Tabernacled. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we do away with the tabernacle idea where we ourselves receive the dwelling of Christ in flesh in our own bodies. He dwells among us. That's what verse 14 says. He tabernacles among us. When he takes on human flesh, God himself dwells with his people. And he continues to dwell with us today. He continues, obviously not in body, but in spirit, where we ourselves in some ways become the place where God himself tabernacles, where he dwells with us. It's a good thing to celebrate I'm glad we could celebrate today on Christmas Eve the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is in the advent that we are reminded of John 1.14 
that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember that incarnational truth that the Lord Jesus Christ at his advent in very true reality dwells with his people. The passage closes by saying, for from this, his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. It is in the person and the work of Christ that we come to know who God is. And so I would hope today on this Christmas morning that as we look and gaze and think upon Jesus Christ himself and his incarnational nature, that we are also reminded that it is by him that we come to know who our God is. Remember where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How does John bolster the Christmas story? He shows us the eternality of Christ. He bears witness that Christ is the light and he dwells among us. And he dwells among us today. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ today, I offer him to you in this simple message. That the Lord Jesus Christ, true God, same in substance, equal in power and glory, took on human flesh. And he took on human flesh that we ourselves, because of our sin, he would save us through his death. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but call upon him. Do not waste this Christmas Eve morn with another year of unbelief, but call upon him. For the Christian, though, as we gather that a table is prepared before us, we have a true incarnational reality here set before us today. Today, a celebration is truly prepared. Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, we have a table prepared for you. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, here we find refreshment. Here we find the dwelling of God with man as we celebrate his future coming. Today, don't merely admire Christ, O oh believer, but embrace the true reality of salvation as you take the elements in yourself. Today, as you call upon him at this supper, may you do so with this bolstered and reinforced understanding that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we could have life in him. And as we have life in him now, as we are reminded of by this supper, we pray, O oh Lord, that you'd use it to sanctify our hearts and minds to greater devotion to you. Thank you for all that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.